0: As Doug and I prepared for the birth of our first child, I guess it's now 25 years ago, I remember learning many things about pregnancy and childbirth and about newborns. And one of the things that we learned was that within one minute of birth, our baby would be given the first test of his life, the Apgar test. Have you heard of that? The Apgar test. This test is actually a tool used by health professionals to quickly evaluate a newborn's condition after delivery. One minute and then five minutes after birth, a newborn is rated on his or her skin color, heart rate, respiration, muscle tone, and reflexes. A low score generally indicates the need for some immediate medical intervention. And a high score means the baby is full of vitality and off to a healthy start. Last week, on Pentecost Sunday, we heard another birth story. We heard the birth story of the church. That birth took place when the Holy Spirit descended upon some followers of Jesus and filled them with a power that they had never known, drew believers from together from every corner of the world and then sent them out again to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It began a movement that continues until today. Of course, the Apgar test wasn't around when the early church was born. But if the test had been there, and had been applied to the early church at the time of its birth, the early church probably would have been given a score off the scale, on the high end. At least that's the picture that we get as we read the description of this faith community in Acts 2. There we catch a glimpse of a community pulsing with passion for Jesus, the crucified Messiah, the risen Lord. So strong is this passion, so deep this commitment to Jesus, their Lord, that the lives of these believers are turned upside down. They immerse themselves in the apostles' teaching, hungry to know what faith in Jesus means for their lives. They immerse themselves in prayer, gathering at the temple several times a day to pray and to worship God together. And they immerse themselves in fellowship, breaking bread together often in their homes, remembering Christ's living presence with them. And in the process, their commitment to each other deepens and grows and and manifests itself in some pretty radical ways. The Holy Spirit shakes them loose from possessive and self-seeking impulses And they sell their goods and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone so that no one, no one is in need. Now, you might think that as tightly knit as this group seems to have been, that it might have been difficult for newcomers to find their way in. That often happens. But that does not seem to have been the case. In fact, this warm fellowship seems to have been drawing people in. Acts 2.47 gives this report. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. I look at this description of the church and I want to say, wow. This infant church is one healthy baby. And it is. Yet, as we will see later in Acts, that this healthy baby will experience some growing pains. As this young church grows and develops, it will hit some bumps along the way. Now, one of the first recorded bumps is the incident with Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that story? We read about it in Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira introduce deceit into the fabric of this community, and what happens next is not pretty. They are confronted, and they both drop dead. Yikes. That story is so harsh that many of us would prefer not to touch it, and we're not going to this morning. (laughs) Then today, in the next chapter... In Acts 6, we read about another bump. The Hellenists complain against the Hebrews about a particular issue that is emerging in this faith community. Before we get into that particular issue, let's let's think a little bit here about the players. Now, Who are these Hellenists and who are these Hebrews that are at odds with each other? Well, the Hebrews are Jews who had been born and raised in their homeland, in Judea or Galilee, and, and they speak Aramaic. Now, the Hellenists are also Jews. They were born and raised abroad. At the time of the exile, about 600 years earlier, their forebears had been forcibly removed from their homeland and scattered throughout Babylon and beyond, and Over the years, that's where they stayed. They retained their faith, but they adopted the language and the culture of the people around them. And although they likely spoke some Aramaic, their language of fluency was Koine Greek, the language of the empire at that time. So, although the Hellenists and the Hebrews shared a common faith, they experienced a serious cultural divide. Now, this cultural divide becomes more evident. It becomes much sharper as they rub shoulders together day by day in this faith community. That is, it's growing and spreading like wildfire. The fact of the matter is while the untamed movement of the Holy Spirit among them blows open doors and windows so that a wide variety of people can enter, a wide diversity of people can come in. It also creates some really interesting challenges. And here we see one in Acts 6. The Hellenists perceive that While it may be going well for some of the people in this faith community, it is not going well for everybody. Favoritism. Favoritism is beginning to creep into the system. A favoritism that distinguishes insiders from outsiders. They very specifically report that their widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of food, and this is a serious issue because of the vulnerability of this group. These women, these widows, are immigrants. They are foreigners in a strange land. And they are widows, they are without family support. Because they lack the resources that others have, they really need, they definitely need these daily rations of food. So, the leaders of this group of Hellenists comes before the leaders of the entire group, which would be the 12 apostles, and they lodge their complaint. And now, things get Interesting. From my perspective as a church leader, I'm, I'm wondering here, hmm, what's going to happen next? I'm really curious about how these leaders are going to respond, how these two groups are going to interact together. Well, here's what happens. First, the leaders of the group, the, these 12 apostles, they address the issue head on. They don't put it off. They don't ignore it and hope that it's gonna go away. They listen. They recognize that the concern being raised is an important one that needs to be addressed. Second, even as they listen, the leaders are clear about their own priorities. They are clear about what they have been called to do. Making sure that everyone, be they Hellenists or Hebrews, are fed is important work. But it is not their work. It's not that this work is below them. But if they redirect their energies toward organizing all these logistics, they will be neglecting the work that they've been called to, the work of prayer and serving the word. Third, having both listened and clearly articulated their priorities, these leaders propose a way forward. Given that there are needs that are not being met, and given that they themselves can't attend to everything, they delegate responsibility. They share their power. And what I find really significant about the story is that these leaders invite the people who have been marginalized. They invite the people who are bringing the complaint to choose from among themselves seven leaders, people that they discern to be of good standing, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, who will be appointed, empowered and blessed to serve the needs of the whole community so that no one is neglected, and so that all are fed. And this is where we hear perhaps the biggest miracle in the whole story. This plan is presented to this body of believers and it pleases the whole faith community. When does that ever happen? (laughs) Beyond that, we read verse 7, that through it all, the word of God continues to spread. The number of disciples increases greatly in Jerusalem, and a great number of priests become obedient to the faith. I don't know about you, but for me, this story is really fascinating I find it to be really relevant and also hopeful as I think about church. A church is such an interesting place. It really is. It's it's a place where we bring our, our highest hopes and our best intentions. Together we seek to be God's people, and together we seek to be transformed by God's grace, mercy, and love. Sometimes we forget that this transformation is a process, that none of us has yet fully arrived, and that none of us will probably ever fully arrive, at least not until we meet Jesus face-to-face. So we are surprised when even in vibrant spirit-led faith communities like East Chestnut Street or like that early faith community in Jerusalem, we're surprised when rough edges poke through and people bump into each other and painful issues surface. That's what we see happening in Acts 6. Rough edges poking through painful issues surfacing. What I find incredibly hopeful about this story is how the early faith community finds its way through this difficulty. They somehow engage this issue, their issue, in a way that ends up strengthening their life together and their witness to the world. It turns out that their bump in the road is used as an important opportunity for growth and for transformation. That word, that crisis is really opportunity in waiting, came home to me this week during a meeting of Mennonite pastors. All Wednesday morning when I should have been working on the sermon. I was sitting with a group of pastors, and we were needing to process some pretty significant things. So because it was a difficult conversation, we had invited an outside facilitator to help us think through the issues at hand. And it turned out that that was a really good move. One of the things our facilitator said to us during the course of the morning was, hmm... Looking back at your history, it it seems that when you had a similar crisis five years ago, you wasted it. Don't waste this one. We all kind of looked at him. What he was trying to say and what he eventually did say to us was, see and use this experience as an opportunity. An opportunity to go deeper, to learn about yourselves and to learn from each other, to change your ways, if indicated, and to listen together for what God is wanting to do among you and through you in your community. It was really pretty powerful stuff. And it was an encouragement for me, to continue to try to see the things that I bump into in congregational life, in family life, wherever, as opportunities for growth and deepened connection with God and with the people that God has placed in my life to love, however difficult that may sometimes be. So how do bumps become opportunities for transformation, rather than obstacles to growth. Well, if we take our cues from the story in Acts 6, we first deal with our issues directly. We name the hard stuff. Not that we have the answers but we are at least honest about the struggle. Second, we listen. And we listen some more. We seek out divergent voices, voices that are different than our own, voices that we may not agree with. And we listen, not so that we have ammunition to dismantle the other's argument, but so that we can more fully understand where the other is coming from. And we listen not just with our heads. We also listen with our hearts. Third, We are honest about where we ourselves are coming from, about what we value, about what is at stake for us. We don't impose our views on others, but we are clear about where we find ourselves and why. Fourth, along the way, we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit's presence among us and within us. We actively seek the Spirit's guidance. We listen for the Spirit's wisdom in each other and in our conversations together. We open ourselves to new ways of seeing, to new possibilities, to the new things that the Spirit may be dreaming in and through us. i got to tell you, there is no surefire way to successfully navigate all the bumps in the road of church life. There just isn't. But when we have the courage to name those bumps when we commit ourselves to listening carefully and to being honest and clear about where we are, and when we invite Jesus to be the Lord of our process and the Holy Spirit as our guide, then we're on the right track. We may never end up where the story in Acts 6 ends up with the leaders of the faith community bringing a proposal to the whole body that pleases everyone, not in this lifetime. But as we follow this path, we just might find that we are becoming more in tune with God, more strongly connected to each other, and more committed to the work that God is wanting to do in and through us. And that would be a very good thing. By the grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit that draws us together and that gives us life, may it be so for us.